Good morning, guys. How you doing? Kids, you can go to your class if you choose. If you're new here, uh, let me just echo that welcome. Glad that you're here. Um, we try to invite kids into every aspect of what we do as a church as a way to disciple them and to raise them up in the ways of Jesus. But we do provide them time if they choose to uh, go to an age-appropriate class to learn about the gospel. So uh, if you want to do that, you can send your kids through that door. Follow the leader. Only one. You know, that's a true leader. If you're willing to walk across a room full of people, that's my daughter, by the way, uh, and you're the only person, uh, that's probably says a lot about her little personality that we love. It's very full, if you know her. Um, anyways, I got a couple of announcements for us. Um, a few weeks ago, um, some of you have emailed, some of you have called with great urgency, and so I'm going to address the reason that a police officer is here, okay? So a little housekeeping, family talk here. Um, we're just trying to be good stewards, okay? Our church is growing uh, quickly, which means there's a lot of kids now in our church, and we just want to be wise. And so we called the county and said, hey, we would like to have somebody come on Sunday mornings, and so we pay the officer to come. Um, so nothing has happened, okay? So relieve all of your burdens, all of your worries. There's nothing, no issues. Um, but he's just here uh, just to keep an eye, okay? Uh, because we're back here, our kids are over there, we can't really see them, and so we just thought it would be wise of us to do that. So we good there? Okay, there's a cop here now, all right? And, and they're, they will, they're big. They're all just like, let's go. We're here to protect the children. All right. Okay, a couple of announcements as we dive in. Um, it's, uh, group leader training. So we have a women's Bible study. We're kicking off a men's Bible study in the fall, our family groups. Um, all, if you want to lead, if you're interested at all in leading a group, we are going to train all of our group leaders on July 30th, immediately after the gathering. Okay, so if that's you in the room, go ahead and put that on your calendar. We will provide lunch that day, uh, take about an hour, and we just kind of want to walk through how to lead a conversation, how to stay focused on the topic, how to, what do you deal, how do you handle trauma, how do you handle whatever. And so we just want to walk through those things so that we're leading our groups well. Okay, so family group leaders, you are expected to be there. Um, if you want to lead a men's Bible study or a women's Bible study, come. College Bible, whatever, all right, it's there. If you just want to learn about being a leader. You come to that too, okay? Uh, second, tonight, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. So you guys know we're almost done with Exodus. So literally no one's excited about that? I'm kind of excited about it. Uh, we've been in Exodus for a very long time, about 60-something weeks, um, and we have four weeks, three weeks after today left, and then we'll be done. And so we're going to move into the prison epistles. And so here's what I'm excited about. We're going to spend four weeks in Acts preparing the way to jump into the prison epistles. We're going to start with Ephesians in September-ish, uh, and then we're going to go all the way to Advent. So we got 13 weeks in Ephesians, and then we're going to do Advent. We'll take a break from the prison epistles and do Christmas because it's fun. Uh, and then we're going to go back to Acts, and then we're going to prepare again for the next prison epistle, and then we'll jump in and spend time there, okay, verse by verse through all of those, all right? So I'm excited, but if you're excited about that, we want your help, okay? One of the things that we decided to do in Exodus was to provide a guide to help lead our family groups and to help lead uh, in your home, whether you're a, uh, the head of a household or you have roommates, but to help guide our conversations. And so tonight, we're going to start putting together the Ephesians guide, our goal is to have the whole thing printed once. Yeah. So we don't have to like, keep, oh, hey, here's three more weeks here. Oh, I missed a week, and then you didn't get your Exodus guide. So we're going to try to have those all available for you uh, this fall. So tonight at 530, if you want to come help write the Ephesians guide, it, it's just going to be a great time, and we're excited about it. And so we'll provide some resources and guidance along the way. But um, if you've got time, we'd love for you to come join us. There will be childcare. 
Okay, so don't let that be a reason not to come. Uh, speaking of guides, the last three weeks of the Exodus guide are on the table. Um, there's not a lot of them, so there's a QR code that we're going to send out or send a link out in the email if you want to download it that way. But um, Lexi, I saw you earlier. I don't know if she's in kids or if she's in here. Uh, she's in here. Um, she is the one who kind of has put all that together. So she, she designs it. She makes sure that it, there's... It doesn't look terrible, uh, so thank you for doing that, and um, I hope that it has served you well, okay? Uh, lastly, we have a couple new members to announce. Um, Alex Williams, I have seen. There's Alex. And Matt Sewell, I don't see Matt, um, but they have joined the church. They've, the elders have approved them. They've gone through our process, and so that's an exciting thing for us. And so, um, yeah, there it is. There it is. So we... Just so if you're new, let me just kind of speak to that. I try to do this every time we do this, but membership is not like an elite status in the church. You don't get a special seat. You don't get a special parking spot, okay? The only special parking spots are the ones for kids, okay? If you have young children, we've designated a few spots. They're probably not the most convenient spots if you look at where they are in the parking lot. Like, we could actually probably get you closer. We've just chosen not to do that, and so there's some spots over there. But we do membership like this. It's a covenant partnership. It's, it's us, brothers and sisters in Christ, joining together to do the work of God in the world that he has sent us, okay? And so it's just, that's all it is. It's accountability. It's guidance. It's a parameter. It's saying, hey, we're in this together. And so we make a lot of membership, and so we're glad to have you guys. Alex, you're awesome. Matt is too, but he's skipping a Sunday, so we'll go ahead and put him in church discipline, all right? Okay, let's do Exodus. We, we kind of have a lot. I, I probably will talk faster than normal. I'm sorry. Um, it just is what it is. We're going to do this in three sections, okay? We're going to talk about the table first, then we're going to talk about the lampstand, and then we're going to talk about the altar of incense. And um, so we are in Exodus chapter 37, okay? Uh, we're picking up where Bryson left off last week in verses 10 through 29, okay? So we'll close out chapter 37 this morning. Uh, as a way of a reminder, though, this is a bit of a repetition, okay? So we have, we have gotten the lampstand, we've gotten the table, we've gotten the, uh, the altar of incense before, right? God had instructed Israel to build these things, and now they're actually building them, okay? So some of this stuff you've, we've seen before, but here's what I know about me, and here's what I know about a lot of you. We forget pretty quickly, so we're just going to do it again. If God thinks it's important to repeat, then we're going to repeat it, okay? We're not going to skip it because we did it a month ago. We're going to go through it again because if it's in there twice, it's important and we should be reminded of what God has to say. So in Exodus 25 through 31, we get the instructions, and then in 35 through 39, we get the construction, okay? This is a pretty fun wordplay, uh, too. They teach you that in seminary, okay? All right, so here's what we got. We have the tabernacle, okay, in all of its glory. Here's the main point. Okay, so if you need to check out or whatever you need to do, the tabernacle and all its glory point to the glory of God in Christ. So that's what we're going to do today. Okay, so this is going to seem hard to read, but hopefully my goal by the end of it is to say how each of these things have pointed us to their perfection in Jesus. Okay, so that's where we're going, all right? But the tabernacle and all its glory point to the glory of God in Christ. So we have some photos. We, you've seen these before, but we're going to put them up here just as a way of reminder. I'm going to turn my back to you. Sorry. Um, that's, this is the tabernacle. The tabernacle is that bit up there on the top. That's the, 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 the camp, if you will, on the outside. But the tabernacle is, is the building structure that you see, okay? And so that is what we're talking about. The next one is where we were last week, which is the ark, okay? So this is the ark of the covenant. This is what uh, Bryson taught us through last week, which thank you for doing that. Here's what I love. This is Bryson's first week 
teaching ever, like here in front of a lot of people. Um, he did a Bible study for the football team that I was aware of, and um, it was awesome. But here's what I know about letting young men come and stand in the pulpit is they are, we are confirming God's call on their life. And so we don't ever expect guys to come up here, and what we want them to do is to work hard. We don't expect them to have it nailed the first time or to, be, to just know what they're doing. And what I loved about Bryson is all week long, now he was preparing the wrong passage. That is a real story, okay? Um, but he has good notes now for a few weeks that he can share with me when I have to preach again. So um, I want to thank you because what I know is like even all week long, he'd be texting or emailing and be like, okay, hey, what do you think about this? Like he put in the work and that's what we want to see. So that's why I don't preach every week and we have other guys on our teaching team. And so uh, anyways, this is the arc. Bryson nailed it. He was very fast. So if, if you were here last week, don't expect that every week, okay? I go a little bit longer. Now, keep it in perspective. If you've been here for a long time, I'm not as long as Gabe, okay? All right, so we're good there. All right, here we go. Repetition, though, reinforces our memory. We get better at things the more we practice them. So here goes the repetition. Exodus 37, verse 10. He also made the table of acacia wood. Two cubits was its length, and a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And he overlaid it with pure gold and made a molding of gold around it. And he made a rim around it a handbreadth wide and made a molding of gold around the rim. He cast for it four rings of gold and fastened the rings to the four corners at its four legs. Close to the frame were the rings as holders for the poles to carry the table. And he made the poles of acacia wood to carry the table and overlaid them with gold. And he made the vessels of pure gold that were to be on the table, its plates and dishes for incense, and its bowls and flagons with which to pour drink offerings. So if you haven't been here and you're like, huh, what's he going to do with that? It's a good question. Uh, this is why we work really hard to prepare sermons. This is also why we teach the Bible verse by verse, because we've already talked about this, and we see what God is trying to do, right? So in the instruction portion of this, God's giving them all these details, right? This is a lot of stuff. It's a lot of gold. It's a lot of detail. It's a lot of very specific instructions. This is also true for us today, right? As we obey the commands of God, we see the fruit that God has to provide, so the ark, though, from last week was the most important piece. Why? Because it was the physical presence of God, right? This is where he chose to dwell, was it the ark, okay? So now we're working our way back out. So we have the ark, and now we have the table uh, for bread, or the table of presence. The bread, though, that was on the table, I think we have that one too. Yep, see those loaves? You know how many there were? There are 12 of them, Okay probably to symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel. There's nothing definitive to say that, but it makes sense, right? So, but the bread was a constant reminder of God's providential care and his covenants, okay? So, it, yep, we good? Everybody know what I'm talking about here? If you don't, I'm going to give you a quick explanation. God keeps his promises, and this is how we remember that God keeps his promises. A six-year-old taught us this, and this is stuck, right? And so I will see some of us, like, even sitting around town, and you'll be having conversations, and, like, I'll just see somebody do this. I, I know what they're talking about. They're talking about God's promises and some sort of fulfillment of that in their life, okay? So I hope that will stick in your life too. But the bread was this constant reminder of God's providential care and his covenant, his covenant that he's promised to keep. But what do we see with bread? What is bread meant for? It's meant to be consumed, right? It's meant to provide something. Covenants are often sealed with a meal. 
Okay, you think about a family structure, how intimate family dinners are, or Thanksgiving meal, or Christmas meal. It's usually we come around each other around those times of the year, and we're reminded, hey, we're, we love each other. Okay, we're in this together. Maybe we haven't seen each other for a while, or we live a long ways away. We come together, and we share a meal, and it's intimate. But in this specific case, in Exodus 24, we see the elders of Israel go up on the mountain, and they ate and they drank. Why? to seal the friendship with God. And it becomes a very tender friendship. Now, between Exodus 24 and Exodus 37, we have this uh, explosion of sin, right? And God's consistent pursuit of his people. This is the golden calf story, okay? So just because the covenant was sealed doesn't mean that God's people were expected to be perfect. He knew that they weren't. That's why he kept pursuing them all the way to the point of Jesus coming and dying for our sins. It's the constant pursuit of God for his people. But they ate and they drank, and this meal sealed their friendship. I love that. I love the imagery. Jesus often is seen around the table. He does flip a table one time, which is a pretty cool story. If you haven't, if you're like, man, Jesus never did anything like dramatic. Yeah, he did. He flipped a table because they turned the temple into a money house, right? And so, different table, okay? There's just money on the table, no bread. But that's often what we do, don't we? We exchange the sustenance of God for some sort of earthly provision. The bread wasn't meant just to satisfy our hunger. It was meant to remind us that God has provided everything that we need, including the gold to build the table in which the bread would sit day after day after day in the wilderness he provided for the people. He provided manna, he provided dove, he provided uh, water from a rock, right? Uh, uh, It wasn't dove, it was quail. It was a bird, okay? Get off me, all right? (laughs) But the, the idea here is that we remember that God doesn't just call us to eat the bread. He calls us to be reminded of what the bread is for. Okay? Now, here's what, we did this last time we did the bread of presence, but we're going to do it again now because I think, again, it's helpful for us. God doesn't need the bread. Okay? He doesn't need the bread. He doesn't need sustenance. He doesn't doesn't need us to bring something so that he can be fully God. He's fully God with or without us. If the priest had forgotten to make the bread, God would be fine. The priests, however, would not be fine. Okay? They would be in some serious trouble. They probably would die. I don't know that. It's just history, okay? So, but God doesn't need the bread for sustenance. He tells us in Psalm 50 that uh, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. I own cattle on a thousand hills. So he doesn't need to be satisfied. What he needs is our worship. He needs glory, and the glory is found with this bread. Each week, the priest would offer the bread as a reminder of God's provision for their life individually and for their life corporately. So every week we take communion, and I'll set this up here in a little while, uh, in about 25 minutes, okay? Every week we go and we take the bread as a reminder of God's salvation in our life individually for me and for us corporately, because the Great Commission is a singular call and a communal call. You can't make disciples in a silo, You can't follow the commands of God sitting in your living room alone for your entire life. We have been called to go out into the world, and we go as beacons of hope and light. Now, what you're going to like about this is the next thing that we have to talk about is the lampstand. You see the transition? We talk about light. Boom, lampstand. Nailed it. I'm a pro. Okay, lampstand. Let's do that one. Okay, that's it. All right? Uh, Last time we taught this, I had to look up what a calyx was. I didn't have to do that this time because I remembered. Do you remember what a calyx is? The calyx is the outermost part of the flower, okay? That's what those are. All right, we're going to read it now, okay? Sorry, that was a joke. Nobody thought it was funny. 
I had no idea what a calyx was, okay? Now I do. I read it in Hebrew, though, all right? Verse 17, he also made the lampstand of pure gold. He made the lampstand of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers were of one piece with it. Do you know how hard that would be, by the way? to create all that in, as one piece. Like, we like to create things individually and then piece them together with duct tape. This is one piece. Verse 18, there were six branches going out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it. Three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on one branch, and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand, and on the lampstand itself were four cups made like almond blossoms, with their calyxes and flower. And a calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out of it. Verse 22, their calyxes and their branches were of one piece with it. The whole of it was a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. And he made it seven, its seven lamps and its tongs and its trays of pure gold. He made it and all its utensils out of a talent of pure gold. So this is, we set this up perfectly by not being able to figure out how to turn the lights on during the welcome. We don't normally do that. We usually have it pretty well dialed in. Uh, we had the wrong key. And so that was not intentional. Okay, there's a confession. But as we, we, what is light for? It's to see, right? So what is the purpose of the lampstand? It's to see what's happening inside the tabernacle, to see what's happening so the priests of God could see what they're doing in worship of God. We do it so that you don't trip on the tarp, okay? That's just kind of why we have light here. All right, also so that we can read our Bibles. But the lampstand points us to the fact that God is the light giver and that God is the life giver. That's it, okay? He provides light. Now, light is different than just flipping on the switch, okay? This is the light of the world. He is the light giver in the sense that he, the Son of God, Jesus, has come as the light giver to give us life fully in him forever. So the function of the lampstand was to provide light, but the light would illuminate this, the table that we just saw so the priest could see the bread and that they could serve in their duties as priests. What I love about the lampstand, we didn't talk about this last time, it was a perpetual flame. It never went out. Okay, so the priest, part of their duty was to constantly be filling it with oil. And the sim- symbolic nature of that is it's the same with Christ. Like, here's what often happens, okay? And maybe this isn't always true. This is also not in my notes, so if I, this, sorry, rabbit trail. But usually when we come to faith, saving, like, we become aware that God has saved us, all right? And now we're following after Jesus. What, those, those first few months, maybe those first few years are what? They're, they're invigorating, right? We're, we're telling everybody we know. And then what happens as you get older or as life keeps hitting you in the face? Maybe that energy kind of simmers a little bit, doesn't it? Not with the lampstand. It doesn't simmer. It doesn't dim down. It's fully lit all of the time. Whether you have the right key or not, it stays lit. This is the reality of Jesus. Just because our faith or the knowledge of our faith might simmer doesn't mean that Christ is still is not working. Okay, whether we're aware of it or not, he's still doing the dramatic work of saving us, of sanctification, the process of becoming more like Jesus. He never quits. It's a perpetual flame. So whether we're super zealous or not, Jesus is still king. He doesn't need us to be excited to do what he needs to do. 
Now, as we become aware of what he's done, we should respond in worship. We should respond in joy. We should respond in contentment and excitement because we were once dead. Right? This is the reality of the gospel. Like, If you are constantly reminded that there was nothing that you could do to become a follower of Jesus, if you could do nothing to save yourself except to just be dead and need to be saved, then when you are saved, your life should look differently. Okay? Our lives should look differently. But the lampstand, right? Here's what I, I always like to go back to the garden. Okay? So if you've been here, you know this. If you haven't been here, I like to go to the garden. My name's Stephen, by the way. Um, I didn't do that at the beginning. I'm doing it now just because I'm not smart. Okay? But in the garden, God planted a tree right in the middle, the tree of knowledge, right? The tree of life. Okay? And it was the, right there in the middle, in the tabernacle, he plants the tree of life. He plants the tree of light right in the middle of the tabernacle as a symbol of his life-giving power. Okay? Just because sin entered the world in Eden doesn't mean the tree did anything wrong. The tree is still the tree of knowledge. It's still the tree of life. And so God puts this lampstand in the middle of the tabernacle to remind his people that I'm the one who provides the light. I'm the one who provides life. Remember where they were. They were slaves for centuries. They had not known life to the full. They had not known life with fruitfulness. They had not dwelled well in the presence of God. And now they get into the wilderness. There was some times when they wanted to go back, right? But now they're, being, they're actually seeing and living and pressing in to the presence of God. But all light and all life comes from God and from God alone. Don't let the world fool you. Every good gift comes from the Father. Every single one of them. Okay? I don't have as good of a transition to go to the altar of incense. We're just going to go there now. Okay? Verse 25. He made the altar of incense of acacia wood. Its length was a cubit, and its breadth was a cubit. It was square, and two cubits was its height. Its horns were of one piece with it. He overlaid it with pure gold, its top and around its sides and its horns. And he made a molding of gold around it. It made two rings of gold on it under its molding, on two opposite sides of it, as holders for the poles with which to carry it. And he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. He made the holy anointing oil also, and the pure fragrant incense blended as by the perfumer. Okay, altar of incense. Do you remember what it was for? It's okay, we're family here. You can, you can shout at me. Well, don't shout at me. You can say nice things to me. Uh, but what was the altar of incense for? The altar of incense would represent the prayers of God's people going up to the presence of God. Okay? So the altar of incense was a specific, it was this is an important piece of furniture in the, in the tabernacle because it's this constant reminder that God's still listening. God's still listening. God's still listening. He, like, he didn't leave. Okay? Lights are always on and their prayers are always being heard. This is what the altar of incense is showing us. This was an altar of prayer, and it symbolized the prayers ascending to the throne of God. Uh, in Luke chapter 1, okay, if you, if you know your Bible, you've read the story. Zechariah was John the Baptist's dad, right? And so Zechariah was a priest, and he's in the, he's in the temple now because the Israel had become more established, okay? They got, finally got a permanent building. We can only pray, okay? But they have a permanent building, right? And Zechariah is in there, and he's like, he's, he's really burdened. 
okay? They, they want to have a, a son. They don't have a son, and God's made this promise, but it hasn't come true, and it's like, Zechariah, did you forget the Old Testament? Okay, this happened a hundred times in the Old Testament, and God continued to provide for the promises that he's made. Abraham, Zerah, okay? So God continues to come to Zechariah, and what does he say in, in Luke chapter 1? He says, your prayer has been heard. And that was the, that was the switch. Your prayer has been heard. It's repeated a few times in Luke 1. But Zechariah reminds us that as we petition to God, there is no petition that goes unheard. None. So whatever it is in your life that you're pleading to God for, he is going to hear your prayer. Now, his response may be different than what you're anticipating his response to be. Would God have been sovereign if Zechariah had not gotten a son? Well, sure. But God had made the promise, and God fulfills his promises. God tells Zechariah that your prayer has been heard. Our prayers are being heard right now. And it's not because we're at church. It's because he is sovereign over all. But he hears us, even when we're, we don't even know we're praying. You know, there's this constant worry in the back of your mind, the thing that keeps you up at night, the thing that you're like, oh, I don't know how this is going to work out, right? It may not be fashioned in a prayer, but God hears you. He knows you. We did this when we went through the altar of incense last time, but I thought, I thought this was important just to remind us again, but this whole idea of praying in Jesus' name. Okay, if you remember this, I'm just going to walk you through these bullets again. They're not going to be on the screen, but we pray in Jesus' name. This isn't a salutation or like a good luck charm. It's not like a guarantee to get your prayer answered. We pray in Jesus' name because there's power in the name of Jesus. He is the only one who went into a grave and walked out. Lots of people have gone in and you know, we see Lazarus wakes up again, or Jairus' daughter wakes up. Those people are not here anymore. They died. Jesus is still here, and he still rules and reigns. But we don't pray in Jesus' name as, like, signing off an email. Thanks. Bye. You know, glad you're here. We pray in Jesus' name because there's power. There were three things that I gave you about six weeks ago. The first one that we pray in Jesus' name is because we've been invited in. We've been invited. We've been adopted into the family. And the Father who sits at the head of the table hears you. He chose you. He wants you to be there. And so you've been invited in. The second thing is that we can have confidence that God will hear and he will help. If he continued to hear the people of Israel, he will continue to hear us. If he continued to hear Zechariah, he will continue to hear us. The third thing is that we can rest assured that God is working for our good even though sometimes our good hurts, okay? He is working for our good. What is our good? Dwelling in the presence of God. That's it. No matter where you are, no matter what you're walking through, the goodness that God has for you is himself, and it's enough. It is. I got you. Amen. Okay? The presence of God. We can rest assured that God is working for our good. We've quoted uh, Philip Ryken a handful of times. He's got, I got a couple in here for you today. I'm going to do one at the close. But listen to this. This is how he closes out uh, Exodus 37. Okay? He says, this then, now the tabernacle fully constructed, this then is the God the Israelites encountered when they entered God's house. Can you go back, Dakota, and put the tabernacle back up? The tabernacle was furnished, continuing the quote, so as to show them that God was everything that they needed. Everything. Listen to this list. He was the God of heaven, 
who lived with his people on earth. He was the God of truth who gave them his law. He was the God of guidance who ruled from his royal throne. He was the God of mercy who offered forgiveness on the basis of blood. He was the God of providence who sent bread from heaven. He was the God of the covenant who sat down at the table for fellowship. He was the God of life and light who brightened their way. And he was the God of intercession who listened to them when they prayed. This was the God who made his home with Israel at the tabernacle. And this is the God who makes his home with you by the power of Jesus and the Spirit of God. This is it. But the tabernacle is about what? Ultimately, the tabernacle is about the gospel, the good news of God saving sinners, the good news that God has chosen to dwell with his people. And so I'm going to walk us back through, and each thing I'm going to tell, us, tell you what it is in light of Jesus. So Jesus is our table for showbread. Jesus said in John chapter 6, he said, I'm the bread of life. If you come to me, you will never be hungry. Guess what never means? It means never, ever, ever, ever. Okay? If you believe, you will never thirst. Jesus sustains us not just with daily bread, but also by the giving of his spirit. His disciples were constantly, teach us to pray, teach us to pray. What does he put in there? Give us our daily bread. Because you've always done it. Please don't stop. He sustains us with daily bread and the giving of his spirit. Jesus sits down with us at the table, welcoming us into this family. And guess where we get to sit? We get to sit in his seat. We received his full inheritance. Revelations 3.20 says this, if you he- anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and then, do you know what it says next? I will eat with them. I will eat. There's a meal to be shared. There is a meal to be had. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them. Jesus wants to commune with us in the friendship of his covenant of love. Okay? The next, Jesus is our lampstand of life. He is the light of creation. John 1, 4 says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus is the light of our salvation. Later in John chapter 8, it says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Never walk in darkness. No matter how cloudy or foggy your life is right now, you are not in darkness if you are in Jesus. Lastly, Jesus is our altar of incense because he prays for us without ceasing. He never, ever stops. Never. He is constantly pleading and interceding on our behalf to the Father. Hebrews 7, verse 25 says, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. I hope you find these. These are promises, guys. And if God has made a promise and he has promised to never break a promise, guess what's happening here? He's not going to break this promise. He's never going to leave. He's never going to stop interceding. If we want God to hear our prayers, we must call out to him in the name of Jesus because that's how we've been taught to do it. Since we have known the mercies of God, just like Israel, then you talk about being like slapped in the face with the mercies of God every single day. Like, oh, the man is back. We're good. The water keeps flowing out of a rock. Every day they were presented with the mercies of God, and yet they needed to constantly be reminded that God was in their presence. Yet in Jesus now we have a better manna. We have a better water from a rock, a rock that never runs dry, bread that never stops falling out of the sky. 
and it's sweeter than we could ever have imagined. Since we have known the mercies of God, we present ourselves then to God in holy obedience according to his word. So we should fight for Christ-likeness. We should. We should encourage and exhort one another like never before because if this is true, then it's the only response that we can have. We are to live life as Jesus has called us to live life, which is a family. It says brothers and sisters. And now as a family, I want us to go to the table and partake of an intimate meal and be reminded that in Jesus, the saving promise has been sealed forever. Once for all. One time for all time. We don't have to have a redo. And as long as he tarries, we keep pressing in. I want you to know that I love you, and as we share this meal, I want you to be reminded that God never breaks his promises, that Jesus is our altar of incense, that he's our lampstand of life, and he's our table. Those are plastic tables with a pretty black tablecloth. But Jesus is our table. He is the light giver and the light giver. Let's pray. Father, we are very thankful for this morning. I'm thankful for this building. I'm thankful that we were able to get in. I'm thankful that we figured the lights out. I'm thankful even in the little things, God, that we're reminded that you care about details. You care about the little things in our life that we think no one else cares about. I'm thankful for this book. I'm thankful for the time that we've spent in Exodus and pray that it would uh, produce fruit in all of our lives as we are in constant pursuit of you. Help us to look more like Jesus. Help us to have hands and feet like Jesus. Help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us to love well in a world that doesn't want to be loved. So we trust you. We love you. We're, We're thankful that we have this example to follow. We pray now that as you draw us out, like you drew the Israelites out of Egypt, that you will continually to remind us of your goodness and your faithfulness, your steadfastness, your kindness, your mercy, and your grace. So we love you, and now as we go to the table, uh, we pray that our worship would be glorifying to you, that our our prayers would rise uh, to your ears. So we love you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.